Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 936 with Brad Parker. I just I like to try to wow people. You know, you can't do it all the time. I'm not in control of every table they touch. But if you can get them to come in and like have that, wow, this is amazing. This is beautiful. This is fun. I had a great time at your establishment. Like, There's nothing better to me than having that feeling, right? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Pop Menu, and restaurants have been hit hard over the past last years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever, trying to meet the expectations of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like... Can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest founder and CEO of Parker Hospitality, Brad Parker. Brad, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable today. Yes, sir, <laughs> man. I'm looking forward to this conversation. A really interesting path into the restaurant industry, so yep. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. But before we share who you are and how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got yeah. for us? You know, I, anything's possible, but really it's, you got to put one foot in front of the other. Mm. I think, you know, the, the way to success, people think they dream, but dreaming only gets you so far. You yeah. actually have to take action and it's not big action. It's really small action. Yeah. And I'll explain later on, you know, my, how I got here and yeah. how, how it seems simple, but it really is just putting one foot in front of the other and, and trying to uh, take a leap of faith. You're making me think of all those people right now that I come across, um, People like to like share ideas with me because like, you know, I meet a lot yep. of people that have ideas and they're like, I want to share my idea, but you got to promise you don't tell anybody. I'm like, bro, like <laughs> it doesn't matter how good your idea is. Yep. It only matters if you're willing to show up and execute it. A hundred percent. And th- that's the magic sauce yep. right there. So beautiful way to get this thing started. And where does it make sense to kind of share your story? Cause you didn't take a traditional path into the hospitality industry. No. You weren't working in restaurants. Nope. Like you were, what were you doing? I mean, I, I, 
through high school, I dabbled in working at a Starbucks for about a year and a half. So it's I, a great I, place to get started. I, I'd been in hospitality in the sense of I know what it's like for someone to walk up to a counter, greet them, and take care of them with a smile on your face. Um, outside that, I, I think my love for just hospitality, not in the restaurant industry, um, was I always loved having my friends over at my house. And I was the one that was making sure when I went down to the, you know, we were in the basement, the, you know, the, the sodas were set up and the tositas were set up for the football game and the <laughs> chips and salsa were there. And I, I just loved doing that. Yeah. It's my family. We grew up doing that. So I think it just rubbed off on me. And so when I got into business in general, well, first of all, I realized around 21 years old when I was going to go to law school or 22 that, uh, I just working for someone in a sense was, was not my, um, the, the way I, saw myself uh, so, being involved in the business world, right? Okay. Just like being, uh, you know, working up that ladder, like as a manager and uh, barback or whatever. So I got into real estate because it was the only thing I could think of at the time that was like, hey, you're on your own boss. You yeah. are what you kill, right? Yeah. You got went out, got my real estate license, and I was only as successful as um, I was willing to put in the hard work. And then the market just crashed on us and, yeah. uh, in 2008. And that's how I was forced into business. Uh, everyone... Um, who knows my story, and I won't make it too long, but I was in the car business prior to that, um, renting out high-end luxury vehicles, which turned into racing high-end luxury vehicles for customers to pay, you know, 300 I mean, bucks. A, I feel like it's a pretty entrepreneurial venture. Yeah, right there. but I, where'd you get that idea? I was stuck with a really nice car, and I didn't know what to do with it. The <laughs> you market, make the car Yeah, I, I did pretty well in real estate coming out of you know college, and I was a young little showboater probably, and I went out and bought a nice car, and now the market's tanking. Oh, I can't man. sell the thing. I got payments on this. What was the car? Um, at the time, it was an M... It was the M6. So okay. it was an M6 convertible, BMW. That, that's BMW, right? That's like the yep. M3, but like the sedan. Yeah, version, it's right? like the two door, really like sporty. Back in the day, it was like the sports car. And yeah, I was like, that was the car to get. I have this car. I had a Range Rover too. Uh, my girlfriend at the time had a Range Rover. And I was like, ah, man, what do I do with these cars? And I was on a chairlift in Aspen. I, my buddy from college, I hadn't seen in years, was like, I'm doing this luxury rental car thing in Miami. I was like, man, let me go back to Chicago and see if anyone's renting high end cars. Like, at the time Hertz, I think the nicest car was like a Ford focus. They weren't doing it back then. Now they're, they've done it. And so I built a website and just tried to rent out my car and it worked. And then I was like, okay, let me go buy a Bentley and then a Ferrari and a Lamborghini. And people started renting them out. The problem was giving out a nice car to someone to go drive down the streets of Chicago with the potholes. It's oh, not the best idea. Yeah, yeah. And they just kept coming back messed up. The and insurance I, policy. Yeah. It was, it was costing me more to fix these cars. <laughs> And people were calling me all the time like, I only want the car for an hour. Can I pay you for an hour? I don't uh, want it for a full day. I just want the car to go pick somebody yes, up exactly. Or a prom <laughs> or something like this. Yeah. And I realized they just wanted a moment in one of these unattainable cars, yeah. right, to most people. And that's when I came up with the idea to put them on a racetrack. Imagine if you had this idea during the, in- the influencer period. Yeah, right? I know. Where, like, everyone was, can I just rent this for like a minute to take yep. a photo and yep. then I'll give it back to you? Exactly. And that's, <laughs> and that's what Extreme Experience became was this awesome opportunity for people to drive dream cars three laps around a racetrack. And it was extremely successful. During that time, a buddy of mine who did go to law school and I opted out said, hey, I uh, hate being a lawyer. I said, well, I'm glad I didn't go to law school then. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want to be in the bar business. And I was 27 years old when this conversation happened. 
And so I was like, well, that sounds cool. I don't know much about it, but like, let's do it. And coming from my real estate background, I had a lot of connections was just raising capital. We were doing condo deals and stuff like that. That market slowed down. It was a piece of property that LG Development owned, Mark Lifshin, and they were having a hard time developing the property. And I was their solution by saying, hey, listen, we'll be your tenant. Go to your bank, get this thing financed and developed. We kind of both helped each other. And that got me into the restaurant business with American Junkie um, or in the bar business, I should say. Real quickly into that experience, I realized this is what I wanted to do. What was it about the experience? Having people come into an establishment that you put your blood, sweat, and tears in uh, and hopefully like it and enjoy themselves, it's a very rewarding feeling. So what's the objective for you? Uh, Is it just to please? I just like to try to wow people. You know, you can't do it all the time. I'm not in control of every table they touch, but if you can get them to come in and like have that wow this is amazing this is beautiful this is fun i had a great time at your establishment like there's nothing better to me than than having that feeling it's right? instant gratification it's it's instant gratification and it's like it's one of the things i love about this industry is that like in that moment you get the reward you don't yes. want to have to wait a year from now to get the reward. Like Correct. you're working your ass off, yep. but every day you get to see the end result of your labor. Yep. And you either know if it's good or bad because your yeah. table is going to say, hey, that was a horrible experience. And so you got to be, you know, have thick enough skin to deal with that because yeah. you're going to get a lot of that. And then you have the people that are like, wow, that was amazing. And with when I opened Hampton Social, the rewarding thing was everyone started coming to me and being like, you need to put one of these in my backyard, basically. We need one in Oak Brook. We need one in South Barrington. We need one in Skokie. All these people were coming to me like, I don't have something like this in the suburbs. Or people from Nashville would come in and be like, can you put one of these in Nashville? And that's kind of where I got the inspiration to do that and, and build a brand that was going to go across the United legs. States that has legs. Yeah. As I had the confidence from all those comments. I had, okay. When I opened my bar... American Junkie, which we sold off to Sterling Bay. So when was the American Junkie? That was in 2000 and I'll get this right. 13. 2013. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. 2013 is when we opened. It was two years. And then 2015, it was Hampton Social. It was a short run. Um, we had a great piece of property. Honestly, like I said, when I got into this business, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so I had a good opportunity. Sterling Bay wanted to be in that market, wanted to have a piece of property and made us an offer to buy the um, uh, property from us. Also at the time, my partner who said, hey, I want to get into the bar business, decided he didn't really want to be in the bar business yeah. anymore. So let's get into that. <laughs> exactly. So like, what was it like? What did he think the bar business was going to be? What was the name of this restaurant? When we're talking uh, about American bar? Junkie. American Junkie. Yeah. So it was, I think, you know, I, I had about six years under my belt of being in real estate and grinding and um, being in the car business and having that entrepreneurial spirit. And when you get thrown into it, coming from just being out of school, really law school and being in more of a structured thing, it's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of decisions to be made. There's a lot of, I hate to use the word arguments we had between partners about which way we should go. Um, but it's important that those arguments happen because eventually you'll come to, to an agreement. Yes. To come to some type of terms. Yep. Um, and like what happens then? Well, the biggest uh, philosophy we have in our company is open and honest communication now, mm. right? I, I might be the CEO, but I tell everyone like, push back, give me your thoughts. Like we might not go that direction, uh, but I want to hear it and I want to talk through it and we want to process it. And 
when I started the Hampton Social and went off on my own, that's kind of why I wanted to be a sole proprietor and, and do it on my own. I thought there was going to be some amazing people in, in, in the industry that could come work for me and I could listen to them who had those years of experience of what I didn't, which was whether it was being a bartender, whether it was being a chef, whether it was being a uh, floor restaurant manager and take someone's uh, experience and try to use what hopefully was some, you know, well-rounded and thought out expertise of a businessman and use all those little pieces and come up with the best formula. And yeah. that's what we've done now. And I have an amazing team that's helped me grow this company. I want to shelf cause we're going to, we're yeah. going to unpackage the Hampton social. Yep. You have the basement. You also have your Mediterranean concept mm-hmm. where we're saying today. Nisos, am I saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I want to knowing what you know now, yep. 10 years later, almost right from opening your first bar. Yep. Reflecting back at that time, and the decisions you made and what you did and the order in which you did things like take us through that like chronologically oh, like man. like what do you know now that you wish like you could tell you that version of yourself man looking back i first didn't realize how long of a road it is now i've been doing this since i think you know i started the process when my friend came into my office and said let's do this in 2011 was when the first thought process. So now I'm going on almost 11 years. Right. Yeah. And it's been a long 11 years, a lot of hard work. And if you're going to get into this business hard, it, you know, the mantra of hard work pays off. It really does. You have to be smart, but you really have to be hardworking and going back. You know, I thought, Hey, when I first got into the, the industry, I thought I could just hire like a business guy. You could just hire the right people. They'll do it all for you. I don't need to know everything that they can do it. Yeah, try, try that today. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a good part of that, that you should have as, as a restaurateur about getting the right, surrounding yourself with the right people, but you also have to be willing to get your hands dirty. Yeah. And the way I look at that is like, you got to be able to do the job, but your, your goal is to find people who are better at you yep. than all the different verticals. And then eventually you start checking the boxes off of whatever you don't want to do Correct. or you're not that good at. And yep. so you're just putting all of your energy into the thing that you actually do like. To do. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's the, the thing I didn't have when I first got into the business. And I think I would have told myself is, Hey, do not go into this thinking you can just say, oh, you manage this restaurant over there. So now you're going to do a great job managing my restaurant because two things. One, they might be a great manager, but no one cares as much as you do. Mm-hmm. Their money is not behind it. Their you know, reputation sometimes is not on the line. Um, and so that was kind of a rude awakening for me. Did this happen for you? Uh, yes. Like I, I had tremendous success at American Junkie from a top-line sales standpoint, but running the operations and keeping the bottom line controlled and uh, that whole portion was like... I. What were your was biggest challenges course. looking back? What, what didn't that uh, bar have, American Junkie. Junkie have, that would have helped the bottom Systems. line? Systems, 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 systems. You hear this all the time. It's why the best in the business, lattice entertain news of the world are, are such great companies. They're system oriented companies. Uh, and the system that usually works for one restaurant works for the other. It just has a little twist on it or something. And, and that's, you know, food costing systems and inventory systems. Um, controlling yourself out of the gate is, is extremely important. So when we're going to develop a new restaurant and, and look at it, it's as much as it is creative and fun, it needs to be planned out. 
Like when we're developing a menu, it's not just, hey, here's some food someone will like. It's how does that dish affect the way the kitchen operates? How is it going to affect the customer experience? We'll be able to pull, pull this off <clears throat> over and over and over again. There's so many pieces in the restaurant business that a lot of other businesses don't have. You know, it, I always refer to the guys who supply our ice machines. They have two things to do. Send me my ice machine and then send out someone when it breaks or <laughs> repairs it. Outside that, the machine makes ice. There's not a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Here you have <clears throat> creativity. What cocktails are you making? How are you making them? How many steps are in the cocktails? Will they be fast enough to get out to the customers? Will the quality be there? Are you sacrificing quality for a price point that you're charging? Uh, same with the food. Every you know all those how are you staggering your labor when are you busy when are your busy points during the restaurant um who's coming in is everyone coming in at one time are they you know coming in at different hours as you get busier and how do you pre-shift those people i mean there's so many moving parts in the restaurant i think that's why um unfortunately so many people aren't successful in it you know statistically they always talk about the statistics of restaurants It's a lot of moving parts. It's so much. And no one thinks of this stuff. Yeah. And like you gotta be a freak of nature to keep that all in your head and to be able to to go through that mental checklist without having some anchor of consistency or to just to check yourself against. Yeah. Right? Like, am I on track? Am that, I doing the things I need yep. to do today? And that's why those checklists, you just said that's mental. You know, getting into the business, it was a mental checklist. Yeah. It was somehow, some way my brain was able to say okay, here's the things we need to do. And not only my brain, but the other people around me are like, here's what we need to do. And now it's a point of checklist, literally yeah. physically going into a restaurant and, and your host has, here's my checklist yeah. in your kitchen, your prep guys, here's my checklist. Yeah. And it seems so mundane to them sometimes. They're like, why do I have to do this? Yeah. I already know what I'm doing. It's like, because if you just keep following that checklist, it'll be consistent every single time. I mean, there should be, the, ish, the picking up the checklist should be the first thing that happens even before like clocking in the first item on the checklist should be clock in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's companies out there, yeah. you know, you can take the shortcut and I didn't know that there's companies like Redbook who will have already built checklists. Now every restaurant's different. So you need to modify it for what you're doing. But I wish someone told me, Hey, here's these, you know, these, sub- and it these seems support silly. systems. It seems yeah. silly. And I think a lot of people push back. Like you really need to like put a checklist to have me clock in yep. and to like, unlock the door do you think i'm a monkey it's like it's no it's it's not that it's just that like things happen and like eventually you as an employee don't need the checklist doesn't mean that you don't have to use the checklist but it becomes more of a a thing just to check yourself against like you're going through the motions and you're just using it to back yourself up yeah and you should be able to walk into any of my restaurants or any of the melman's restaurants or any of boca's restaurants and go from one restaurant to the other and operate that restaurant if you work for that company you should be able to go in there because the systems the checklist should be similar enough that you will survive that night of service the most serious industries known to us use the checklist yeah commercial pilots <laughs> doctors these yeah. people use checklists it's not a thing to look down on you know yeah. like it's not like a thing of like you don't trust me it's just a way to do the job really well yeah you know? and i think that would be the advice yeah. plan in front get those checklists done get those documents done and the rest is easy. Yeah. When we don't do that, when we make mistakes and we don't do that, it becomes a lot harder. I do think that there's one cool thing from the early part of your story that is a smart move that you mm-hmm. did. It was you partner. You're very, I don't know if it was strategic or you just were lucky enough to have a friend that was a lawyer. But mm-hmm. I love it when I see those strategic partnerships where you're not just 
partnering with somebody because they're your buddy, but they also bring something to the table. Correct. And at the time when we were doing that, he brought so much from building our contracts to all of our lease negotiations to a lot of stuff that would have cost a lot of money up front. Yeah. And um, so that was, you know, a benefit. Again, you know, he was very. Some people are great at being lawyers, and he's gone on to be an amazing businessman and 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 done his own thing. Um, but you know, some people just have different talents. Mine just ended up being in the restaurant business, I think. Yeah. So, so ultimately, what was it about American Junkie that made you want to walk away from that? Uh, there, it was a situation where there was a lot of captains <laughs> of the ship, yeah. and I just I realized, hey, here's an opportunity that we can move on with success everyone you know making their money back and 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 getting out of this and then i can go take my knowledge from the past you know two years and try to apply that on my own and and the mentality there was man i never thought that hampton social would become this yeah the beast it is today with almost soon to be 15 locations across the united states oh we're gonna dive into that i can't wait to talk about how you you know, you scaled that and the lessons you learned and how with every new location, how you had to evolve the business along the way. Like we're going to unpackage okay, it. Um, don't you worry, but <laughs> I, I like don't, to don't also, get ahead of myself. Though. I also like to uh, reflect on the past in like the, I don't want to call it American junkie, uh, a failure because you sold it, yep. you know, like it went on, but there's, I'm sure that knowing what you know today, almost like you said, well, 12 pe- years later, people call it a failure, right? They see <clears throat> you're open for two years and you're gone. Um, but you sold the business. Yeah, I know? sold the business. So they and they keep... changed the name. Oh, okay. they, now it's Fremont over on Illinois Street. Got so it. it's. But did you did you sell that for a profit? Yes, we sold. So it for yeah, a profit. like if you can build a business and in two years flip yeah. it, yeah, is that really a failure? No, it, yeah. it wasn't a failure. Uh, but it, you know, comparative to what we've done now with some of our restaurants and what we've turned it into, in my eyes, it, it failed in that sense. And I'm sure in the public's eyes, like I said, they don't know the backstory. But when they see something open and shut, it's a failure. And Would you have done it any other way, knowing what you know now, as far no. as getting started? No, you have to go through those things. You don't it, know what you don't know. They say you, know. <laughs> they say you got to fail like three times in yeah. business to get it right or something yeah. like that. But, uh, and, you know, even um, extreme experience. My my sister and, and uh, my first employee, Adam Alday, took that over and grew it into an amazing company once I kind of stepped aside yeah. and focused on the restaurant business. But I would say I made some failures there. I made some failures at American Junkie. <clears throat> and I used those to hopefully, you know, and I think they paid off, but uh, have some success in, in what we're doing currently. So I just want you to drop those failures on me, if you yeah. can think of them. Unpackage them a little bit so we can learn from them, yeah. and then we'll move on to Hampton Social. Number one, expecting other people to do work for you, okay. like hiring those people and just expecting that's the answer. Like, there, there's you, no such here's thing a as, paycheck, do your job. Exactly. There's no such thing as just hiring the right person, then your life's the best. Okay. Uh, what think, would you do differently? I think a lot of businessmen will teach you that. Yeah. You have to be involved. I, we just hired and we'll be releasing it, so I won't tell my marketing and we'll give away my marketing team's uh, secrets. But we just hired an amazing, well experienced uh, corporate chef for our company. Um, he started this week, actually. And with 25 years of experience and awards under his belt, I, there's still, you still have to make sure that that person comes into a company, blends in with the company, is a cultural fit into that company, and you have to work with them to make these transitions happen. And you have to focus with them to find out what's really needed for the business. Um, And I think that's the major mistake that I made back with uh, American Junkies. I just said, okay, you ran this establishment, 
establishment, which had, you know, say a two or three good year track record so far, and it's been doing well. Therefore, I'm just going to write you a check and you're just going to make Do it happen. Do what you for did me. for them for me. Yeah. yeah right. And yeah. what you realize is you're not sure that they did it. Yeah. Because that place also had an owner also. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like how much of it was them? And I, you can hire someone from Cheesecake Factory who's worked there for 25 years. And you're like, man, you have to know exactly what you're doing, right? Yeah. But again, going back to the systems, did you know what you were doing or were you just following the system? Yeah. And, and the system was so perfect that anyone could have kind of followed it. So you're trying to find that balance yeah. of uh, that. And, and going back, when you start in this business – you have to create the systems. It's a whole different type of person than the one that can operate the system. Yeah, one of my past guests, repeat guests on the show, David Scott Peters, one of his lines, one of my favorite lines is that you don't want to create people-dependent organizations. Yep. You want to create system-dependent organizations. Exactly. And that's not to say you don't want good people in your business, but you want to put good people into your systems. Yes. And and that's the magic sauce. Yeah. But right? without the systems, like yeah. we talked about before, you give the best people in the world. Yeah. The system, it's, it's so important. We talk about it all the time. It's, it's, and even now when we're trying to get better and better and better, it's the reason we're hiring someone that came from, you know, had 20 years of let us entertain your experience under the belt is to help us make our systems even better yeah. so that we can do that. Right. Um, but again, with, the, with, with the right systems, you can own a 200, 300 restaurants, right? Yeah. Um, with no systems, I promise you can barely get past one. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first big failure. Thank you for kind of, you know, just distilling that lesson yeah. clearly. What was the second big failure you think you had? Oh, man, I've had thinking it was more fun than business, right? I got, I was young, I was 28 years old and, and there's a glitz and there's a glam to this industry. Like being a restaurateur, being a bar owner, being a club owner, whatever you want to call it. There's like, this like mystique that gets to come with it, right? And a lot of people, I think, get into it thinking, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I have so many friends, whatever it is. And you can have that mentality, but if you don't take it serious, it gets out of hand really, really quick. And it gets away from you really quick. And, you know, a couple bad months in this industry, you lose everything. Like yeah. it, 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 it's a cash flow business. It's like, it's a trick. It's like when you think you've made it and you can take your foot off the gas and like, you know, like soak in the benefit of your hard work. Yep. It's like, whoops. Yep. Even now this, I mean, we're going to be passing a hundred million dollar company this next year. And it even there's moves that can be made that I have to check myself on all the time. And my team has to be like, Whoa, okay. I know you're pushing. I know you want to do this and that, but like these couple wrong moves and this could, you know, everything we work so hard for can go down. And so that's with a big organization of, you know, 14 restaurants at that point. Um, when you have one, a bad winter can take you out. I mean, a yeah. lot of people build their restaurant and say it costs $2 million to build your restaurant and they raise $2.1 million, your restaurant's going to open. But if you have three or four horrible months, COVID hits, a blizzard hit, something ha happens, it really is going to knock your feet out from underneath you. So it's a, it's a, it's a, I always say I felt like I've been playing roulette for eight years. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so what, what's the big lesson there as far as just don't stop, always be ahead, have a cushion, uh, like yeah, have some operating capital in the bank? There's, there's two parts to it. Um, I think be very strategic in what you're doing. Um, sometimes you get lucky. You know, I'll say to people, yeah, I worked hard and we did a lot of great things, but I got lucky too a lot of times. Um, and, you know, I could touch on some of those things that happened, but, um, I would like to know, yeah, give me one I mean, of the, your lucky stories. So 
I mean, this this is this is why I wouldn't do it anymore. But I opened the first Hampton Social, and my mantra was like, I didn't want partners. I had that partnership experience. I wanted to do it myself. I wanted to own the whole thing. I couldn't own the whole thing, so I had to raise some money from friends and family. But I owned a majority of it, and so there was one captain at the ship, which meant I was really pinching some pennies to get the thing open. And we opened, luckily, to really great sales, like. <clears throat> just to give you an idea, I thought I'd, my goal was to do $3 million on the year in sales because the previous two restaurants, the max they ever did was 2.5. And I was okay with that. $3 million, neighborhood restaurant. I can make the profit and, and, and create a nice little life for me. Well, I think in the first year between Basement and Hampton Social, we did about $12 million. So I overshot it by quite a, quite a bit, right? Yeah. And, but it, looking back, I was like, man, had that gone the other direction? Hampton Social would not exist today and, and wouldn't be around. So um, it's just making sure, I think the first time if you get into this industry, make sure you're well-funded. Mm. And yeah. even if that means giving up some more, <clears throat> once you get good at it, once you get a reputation for um, being a, a great restaurateur or businessman, whatever it is, that's when you can go strike deals with people that are maybe more advantageous for you than they are for yeah that's been uh, a big lesson investor. for me i think a lot of people like your first your first operation should be a cash cow mm-hmm. you know like that's your cash that's the thing you have to do so you can go do the thing you want to do yeah because a lot of the things you want to do don't make money yeah and that's that's <laughs> that brings me to you know we're sitting inside this beautiful restaurant there's no way i could have done this restaurant seven years ago yeah um oh, i had a question on the tip of my tongue yeah. uh um, maybe it'll come back to me, but uh, so the the big lesson there is opera. Oh, this this is the question. What is the rule of thumb that you would say? Like someone's opening a restaurant, they do a pro forma. They're like, it's going to cost me five hundred thousand dollars. I yep. do this, and, and that's I was, they're like, and they're proud of themselves. All I need is five hundred thousand dollars. I can make this happen. Yeah. What's your advice? How much should they? I raise? mean, you at least need to have six months of operating capital. Yeah. In there, because you know, I've come to believe that it really in the first three to six months you'll know if your restaurant's going to make it or not like it's that weird feeling you either have it doesn't need to be perfect but you know if it's going to make it you might have a great restaurant that has great sales and people are saying man your food's amazing you might not be making money because you haven't worked out your kinks yet but at least you can sense that like hey they're going to come back yeah right let's put some perspective on that yeah so five six months of operating capital uh what would one month of operating capital have been for hampton social when you first opened Mm-hmm. Back then, oh, ballpark. Now we have an inflation, so everything's changed. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I needed at least one hundred fifty thousand dollars extra every single month. One hundred fifty thousand, just in case. Extra a month. So yeah, we're talking I, about, and I built the place for like I think the first one I spent about six hundred and fifty thousand. So about close to nine million dollars. Yeah, or a, our, a million dollars. Uh, yeah. Well, for six months, yeah, about five hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars. I should have had. Yeah. In, the, in the bank. Sorry, my math is Yeah, boring. no, it's all right. <laughs> uh, but still, that's a lot of money. It's double. The point yeah. I'm trying to make is like whatever. Some people say f- at least 50% extra. Yep. Whatever you think it's going to it's gonna be 50. I'd say if you if you can do it, if you have the means to do it, yep. double. Yeah. If you don't, then start smaller. Yeah. And, and you know, there's creative, ways to, yeah, there's creative ways to do that to prepare yourself. You know, you don't need to sell your company right away and say, I need this. You just need to have that plan in place to access that if needed so i don't know if it's a if it's a financial partner that says hey i'm not raising this money but if i do need to because we're not planning on making money the first six months which is fine um i need this money right in in here it's 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 a tricky business this is it's a this is a hard hard business you know when people are saying brad i want to get into it 
and there's people that have you know worked for me or you know employees or worked for other restaurant groups i really sit down and have a serious talk with them i said guys what's that i know i know my success looks like fun and games to you but it also the part i got lucky about is i chose a brand that somehow some way people related to and wanted to see places yeah i could have done some other concept and maybe not been here today so you can have all the good intentions you can have all the right you know um ideas and and even systems but if it just if people can't relate to it or something's off it's it's not easy so what is that advice like when you people when you sit down with them are you just trying to talk them out of it like what do you what do you say no well two things i i believe that in our industry and i don't ever want to kill people's dreams but i believe there are too many entrepreneurs meaning everyone thinks that they should be the guy or the restaurateur i need my own thing when there are many people that have been very successful being part of an organization. Like, you know, if you went and interviewed my top guys that own equity in my company now that started working for me as a, my first GM or whatever, these guys are probably in the long run will be more financially successful than most restaurateurs who are on their own, uh, own, own groups. Um, so sometimes it's better to align yourself with the right team yes. if you have those skills. I believe in that 100%. And I, so yeah. keep going. No, I was saying that's what Rich Malman's done. Yeah. He has partner after partner yep. because they say, listen, I want to do this. I want to own my own restaurant. I want to be a partner in something. But having that backbone of what they have and the systems and the financial backing and all those sort of things, uh, it should not be underestimated. That was like one of my biggest aha moments when I was at, say, like maybe 50 or like 100 episodes. And I was like, I fucking cracked the code. I figured it out. This is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that that's exactly what the most successful restaurant tours do. They recreate themselves and others or they they start a restaurant. They bring people on. They know that person just in your scenario yep. they say hey brad you know i want to i want to open a restaurant too yep. and then you go well you know what like you got what it takes you could do this but why don't you let me invest in you exactly why don't you become a partner of mine yep. and now you you brought this person up you gave them the the, the culture that you that you believe in that mm-hmm. they that they resonate with you you have the systems they that they will be using mm-hmm. and you just invest in that person because yep. they're going to get the money from somebody else correct right and they have the drive and, yeah. and they have the ambition to do it but setting up HR, accounting, departments, legal, marketing, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, like I said, it's taken me 10 years to get to where we are today. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of my advice. I hate to have those conversations because sometimes I feel like those people think you're just trying to, you know. Get rid of the competition. <laughs> yeah, get rid of the competition, <laughs> ride on their back or whatever it is. Yeah. But no, it truly is like the shortcut. And, yeah. and that just comes down to making sure you partnered with the right person, not yeah. even – not me doing it with someone, but that person picking the right, you know, yeah. um, operating part. The other thing that I see working sometimes is almost like a, and the only way I know how to describe it is like a polyamory business relationships where like you see, like, in, like I think of Richmond, Virginia, when I was there, that like all the, the leaders at the top of that market all have multiple business partners, but they all share the same business partners. And there might be one dude or girl who, who's like amazing behind the bar and she'll have equity in a couple bars, but she just runs the bar program and that's yep. what she brings to the team. Yep. And there's another person that's the chef and there's another person that's an accountant or they're an operations mind, but they just have partnerships and nobody gets jealous. Nobody gets, well, that's not true. I'm yeah. sure there's <laughs> scenarios where people get jealous, yep. but they understand that this, this ecosystem of partnerships and relationships, we're all better. We're all better together and I'm yep. better staying 
being in my lane and sharing my partners with other people. Yep. So and, I'm not and, I'm not advocating for polyamory or anything. Yeah, like that. No, but I'm yeah. just saying, like, there's there's a sense. There's like there's there's, there's so on. much power in teams and in our generation where everything's accessible. You see everyone on Instagram looking like they're living like a billionaire. They're probably not. And I think people build these visions of being this entrepreneur, being the guy, being the the top of it is like this glamorous thing. And it's really not. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, I always tell my team, I finally got over a hump after like eight years. I felt like I got over a hump where I felt comfortable. But up until then, I was on suicide watch for eight years, I think. So it's... Uh, had I had someone to go to and say, hey, and that believed in me and said, you know, I feel like I can do this. I would rather partner with you. I think I could still have been extremely successful without all the risk and without all the headaches. Yeah. I still believe that you can't, if you want to be the best, the only way to do that is through the, the avenue of partnerships. Yep. Because you can't be good at everything. Yeah. Uh, awesome stuff. Great way to get this I mean, started we're 36 interview 36 minutes into this interview right. uh, we're about to take a break to thank our sponsor we'll come back we're going to talk about the hampton social and how you've scaled that sounds good this episode is brought to you by pop menu look i don't need to explain to you that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding which is why i recommend pop menu answering pop menu answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity this is because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like can i make a reservation or where are you located or what are your hours and over 50 percent of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system within the pop menu platform you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message pop menu answering picks up your phone call 24 7 365 days a year allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most, your guests in-house. The time is now to prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about pop menus, full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We are back and let's just get right into it, man. Like Hampton Social, like when you you parted ways with your partner, an American junkie, where was Hampton Social on your radar? Non-existent. I literally moved into an apartment complex across the street from the first location and I was like, wow, okay, I just sold this restaurant and our bar and I'm out of it. Man, I really liked the business. I hated the the situation I just came out of, but I really like the business and I want to be back in it. And I literally looked out my window. I moved in. I looked out and I saw a for lease sign across the street and uh, it had a name on it. David Goldberg. I knew the broker and I called up David and I said, Dave, I want to do something here. I don't even know what I want to do. Actually, the first thing I was going to do there was this uh, golf club simulator type of thing. You see them now like yeah. top golfs and the flight simulators before everyone was doing that. I was like, I love golf. 
I like the idea of like a country club where you just can come in and get some great food. It's kind of got something for everyone. That was my first idea. I actually signed the lease with that idea pitched. And um, somewhere along that process, I kind of just had this epiphany of, you know what? I really want to make something that's well-branded because you said this earlier in our interview. um, There's the time to do something that makes smart business sense and there's a time to do something that you're passionate about. Yeah. And, and this was, you know, as much as I wanted to be a well-respected uh, foodie guy, I also thought Rich was pretty amazing for starting a brand called Magianos. Like, I was like, that is genius. And that gave him the ability to go do one-off restaurants or that are higher end. And so I really thought hard about it. And I was, you know, I always liked the vacation vibe. I always tell the story. I was down in the Tommy Bahamas in Naples, Florida with my uncle eating um, at the bar. And I was like, man, I love the feeling of this place. It just, it's, it's, it's great, right? Um, and so as I started thinking through that process of what I wanted to build, okay, someone's already done Bahama Breeze. They've done the Caribbean thing. Someone's done this thing. And I was like, no one's done the Hamptons. No one's like, and they're, they're so branded in our mind from Martha Stewart to the Kardashians to everything you see on TV. You, you have an image of what the Hamptons are without ever going there. Right. Yeah. And so I said, this is, seems like an awesome, you know, concept to do. We can do it in Chicago. No one's doing it in Chicago. And this at the time was a city full of industrial type of restaurants. Like the vets and those type of restaurants where they were like, intimately lit and they're great restaurants but i wanted to try to go the opposite direction and some people including some of my investors when i pitched it to them were just like you're crazy this is not going to make it through the winter sure in the summer it'll be great but it's like castaways it has to close down or something so that was a little risk it took and uh so that philosophy was something i focused on really creating a brand that i can replicate and grow and then the second part was okay I'm not going to have partners on this deal. I'm going to grow partners on this deal Mm. and saying, if you turn out to be someone of amazing value, um, someone who's willing to put in the hard work, make the sacrifices, be a team player, carry our culture and our core values, then I will build a system in which you can thrive financially. Um, And that's where we are today. Some amazing partners in the company and they, if it wasn't for them, I definitely wouldn't be where, where I am or where this company is. I, I, I made a note because I want to dive deeper into how you structure that and what that looks like and how we can replicate it. But um, I also read someplace that like you were focused on a certain target market. Oh, yeah. that I kind of missed that part. It was females. Yeah. I really... So I have five sisters. One of the things that... The failures... You talked about a failure. This was my personal failure. My sisters never wanted to come into my bar. Uh, I had one sister that did, but uh, the other ones didn't really want to come into my bar that much. And um, I was always like, why? Like, what's like your brother owns a 15,000 square foot place in the middle of downtown Chicago. Why wouldn't you be here? And the response back is, it, it's great. I'll go watch a football game maybe sometimes, but like it, I just not, my, it's not my environment. And so I started thinking, well, okay. So you're still, t- you're talking about American junkie. Yeah. This is American junkie yeah. back then. So when I was thinking about building this new um, restaurant, the Hampton Social, it was about building an environment that women would want to go to. Like really just, you know, women from 25 to say 
40 and older now too as, as our demographic, but 25 to 40 years old that wanted to go have a brunch with seven of their girlfriends or dinner with seven of their girlfriends. And that for me was the way, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, if you look at all the major clothing brands, if you look at any, they target the women and somehow the men follow, right? Yeah. Like that's how it works. It's and so, weird how that works. Yeah, I, I, know why I don't yet? know why, but it, it works. <laughs> um, so, and so that was kind of my mindset. Yeah. So it was one, create a really strong brand, two, target women, and three, then the rest kind of just handled itself out. But uh, I, Oh, Instagram. That's what the, that was the third one. Oh. I had no money for marketing. Yeah. So I said, I got to create moments where uh, people can take Instagram pictures and self-market my own restaurant. I love that. Um, so I had a trend. Okay. So the other thought that I had is mm-hmm. at this time, like, I don't. I don't. I can't think of a lot of brands that are just specifically targeting women. At no. This time. The other one that kind of gave me um, the confidence to do this, and I'll always give them credit, is is Let Us Entertain You. When they opened Summer House up in uh, um, Lincoln Park, you know, at the time everything was in River North, and uh, you know, you, if you lived in River North, you never really heard someone say, "I'm going out to dinner in Lincoln Park." It was if you lived in Lincoln Park, you come out in River North. If you lived in River North, you went out in River North. It was the cool, you yeah, know, go the over night. the bridge. Go, yeah, you don't go the opposite direction. And all of a sudden, I was hearing, "Hey, we're having lunch at Summer House. We're having brunch at Summer House. We're doing these things at Summer House." And I was like, "What the heck is the Summer House thing?" So I went up there, and it was just it was that idea of like a very nice and light environment, like very welcoming. And I just thought that was great. And I saw the willingness for women to go travel up there to do this. And I thought, okay, well, if I can do have that same feeling inside different brand, but same feeling inside, then maybe we'll see some success in it too. And, uh, it worked beautiful. Um, so the, those three pillars were not, don't open with partners, but grow partners, uh, yep. target women and self marketable. Yep. I heard those right. Okay, yep. cool. So, um, Talk about the self-marketable part. I mean, Instagram's still pretty prevalent to the state. I know TikTok's on the rise. Yep. Uh, what was your strategy for being self-marketable? How did you do that? How did you build that into the, the system? Literally, when you're physically building your restaurant, I and I still do this, is I think to myself, would this be a great spot to take a picture? Mm. You know, you go, you're walking around a garden somewhere or whatever, and everyone's like, no, let's take a picture over here. Let's take a picture over there. They're always looking for that perfect shot. And so we were trying to do that, and we came up with the Rosé All Day sign, which is our trademark now, legally trademark too. We're the only ones that can have it. But the coming up with that sign literally changed everything for our brand because every girl had to come in get a picture in front of it, say they were there tag and even, it. And even, yeah, tag. And even to this day, I mean, 13 year olds, 12 year olds, one, kids that can't even, you know, consume some of our product are stopping by and trying to take pictures in front of the sign because it's the thing to do. I, I've literally been sitting across the world. I was in, give you a little story. I'm in Iceland on a ski trip and I'm talking to this father and his daughters there and we've been in this lodge for three days and he's talking to me about what I do. And I'm talking about the restaurant business and the daughter's overheard this for three days. Cause she's just sitting on her phone talking all of a sudden. He's like, so you never told me what the name of your brand was. And she's 13, 14 years old. And he's like, I'm like Hampton social. She's like, Oh my God, you own Hampton social. I said, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do. I'm like, why have you been? She's like, no, I've never been, but I see it all over Instagram. And dad, if we ever go to Chicago or Nashville, we have to stop by this place. And that right there was like, wow. Okay. 
you did something that like made that impact and it's wow. all it was all about the sign and the girls taking the picture in front of the sign so now when we create cocktails my team's doing something it's like hey when this set comes out will someone take a picture of it and i think we're not the only ones doing it a lot of restaurants are you know doing it and i think you see a lot of critics out there kind of bashing on it a lot sometimes like oh this is just another instagrammable restaurant but the reality is it costs a lot of money to market yeah restaurant a lot of these people trying to get this business don't have a ton of money to go market themselves and so the best way to do that is to get someone to pick up their phone and take a picture of your food your cocktails, your interior, something you're doing, and then that goes out to however many followers they have, and that gets resent on. It's the cheapest form of marketing there is, yeah. and so you know, as you know, sometimes it can get bashed. I've seen it done over and over. Um, How do you feel about influencer marketing? I think it's 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 I think it's great. It's definitely needed. Um, we love inviting you know influencers in. the The problem becomes if the only reason they're marketing you is because you're giving them a free meal or whatever. Is it, is it a true, you know, statement to, um, to Are they just trying the to get a free meal? Yeah. Or, they're just trying to get a free meal. But yeah. then again, you know, uh, that is for the longest reason why I'd be so weird about letting my guests feed me. I'm like, no, no, no. I got the interview. Thank you so much. Like yeah. I'm not one of those assholes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, they're, they're like, wait, wait, yeah. you came here to share my story. And to like do all this stuff and you don't want me to feed you. Yeah, and, right. and I was like, if you insist, yeah, but like, and it's fine. And, 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 but I think, you know, and, and people have, um, built great careers up being influencers yeah. and, and it's the way we get our knowledge and our information, uh, nowadays. I mean, I follow people all the time just to see what they're doing and yeah. it gives me creative ideas. I mean, so it's very important. I mean, it's definitely effective and you can't yep. argue that the effectiveness of it, but I sometimes wonder, it's just like, what are we, what engine are we, supporting what motor are we like, like what are we supporting it, yeah because you know half the people who are influencers are all full of shit you know what i'm saying so <laughs> yeah. it's just like are we feeding into a broken system right now or we're just perpetuating this broken like just false i don't know like but at the same time you look at like times prior where like the there were like five major like media outlets right and you knew like it's the same thing yeah you, you knew that you were we, full house was bullshit too you know what <laughs> exactly. i'm saying like that wasn't real yeah so like is it the same bounce is it, is it just more people feeding us bullshit well i think i think that you know the reality of it is i think a consumer needs to go trust themselves and stop yeah. trusting other people so much um the influencers, I don't mind because you get a picture like, oh, it's a pretty restaurant. Maybe I should go check it out. I'll, I'll feel great from it. You know, we see this with critics all the time, food critics. You know, they it's someone's opinion. Everyone's opinion is different. You can't get just one opinion and get locked on. I've had so many people tell me, hey, this restaurant's horrible. I've gone to it. It's been great. I've told, had someone told me it's great and it's horrible in my opinion. Everyone's got a different opinion. So just to trust one person, give it a shot. Give all restaurants a shot. Like yeah. if you feel like it's something up your alley, it's a cuisine that you might like, go give it a shot. Don't read reviews. Don't go to someone's Yelp. You, I mean, you really have to, or, or, and, you know, with Yelp and a lot of those things too, you got to take it all with a grain of salt. Yeah. I mean, there's something, there's something to be said about word of mouth marketing. It's what yeah. I use to find my guests, but yep. I don't, I talk to other restaurant owners. So I'm like, who should I talk to? Yep. And that's what really steers this, this podcast. So I, I mean, I, I understand the value of word of mouth. Um, I don't know. I feel like influencers have diluted that a little bit yeah. <laughs> as far as the value goes, but there's definitely something there. Um, so when you were getting started, um, you said that 
you know, you were walking around, you had sold your business, you had some, I'm assuming you had some cash put away from the yep. sale of that business. So you, you, what were you doing? Were you just kind of floating aimlessly trying to figure out what was going on? I mean, it only took me, I think I sold the business and within seven days I had a lease signed. Like I was, okay. I was moving quick. I, I, so you moved, there wasn't much time. In no, there was projects. not time in between. I think I actually might've seen the four lease sign before the deal closed, but, um, I knew that I was going to give it another shot. Like, you know, you always say that strong businessman is the one who gets knocked down and gets back up again. You got to give it another try. I failed so many times in trying different things in this business. And my mantra is like, it's not going to knock me down. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't give up if you think you have the gist of what it takes, right? If you think, okay, I screwed up here, but I had these like seven things down. I just need to fix these three things. I can give it another shot, right? If you were completely lost and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like that was just a whirlwind. Okay. Maybe it's not for you. Right. (laughs) So, so this is only seven years ago, 2015, when you, when you launched Hampton social, we're now about to roll in 2023. What, when did you go from one location to two locations? Uh, within, I think about the 18 month time. So I I was over for about a year, started playing the second one. So, and it took about six months to build. So it was only 18 months and we went from one location to eight locations in about five years. So we, I flew, I, uh, we'll go through it. Yeah. I might've been a little crazy. (laughs) So you you said you, you wanted to open this without any partners and the plan was going to be to grow partners. Correct. But I think I heard you also say that eventually you realized you needed to take on some type of equity partner. Correct. That was when we were building our Nashville location, we had a a huge build out coming up. It was 17,000 square feet and multi, multi millions. We were just growing faster than we could keep up with paying the bills. Yeah. And so that's sometimes that happens. Yeah, so you didn't have you were a solo partner in this first location. Though. Mm-hmm. You just had, you just took off little friends and family. I had I, I carried most of the risk on it. So little, they're they're giving you loans for equity. Yeah, just you know one friend for twenty thousand dollars here, another one for twenty thousand dollars there, but no major financiers. So no, when you're giving up equity, how do you know how much? What's a, what's a reasonable amount of equity to give? Up? Um, that's the hardest part of this game (laughs) and and i think i'm asking yeah i mean the 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 more successful you get that's what i said the more successful you become the less you have to give up well because there's more volume yeah you're you're a guarantee well it's you know if someone goes to rich melman and he says hey i'm raising money for a concept you have a lot better chance of success than the guy who's doing it his first time what if okay so so he's not going to give up as much equity as say a you know a first time restaurateur so if I if I want to give if I'm going if if I'm asking you hey I'm thinking about taking on some partners here as my first restaurant um, how much equity do you think I should give up I mean the rule of thumb is that most operators are going to retain about twenty percent and the rest is going to have to go to the guys with the money okay. on, a, on a first time um, as you get better and better you can probably you know and and more skilled at this retain sixty fifty so does that only work if you're looking to to replicate and you're thinking I'm not going to make any money off these first couple, but I have something. Once I get to three, four, five, six, seven locations is when I start making my profit. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to make money in this business. Um, this is, I'm going to give the little secret that I think rich Melman, a lot of guys know the real money in this business is not on the money you actually make in the company. It's on enterprise value. So it's, EBITDA. you know, it, yeah, it's, well, you have your EBITDA, but my company is worth, say $200 million. I might only make $20 million in EBITDA or 15 million, but someone will buy that from me for an increased enterprise value. It's like when they say Google's a 
$2 trillion company, whatever that is. They don't make $2 trillion. That's what the it's value of it, right? All the assets and the potential earnings. Yes, and the potential future earnings. And that's very hard to do on a restaurant brand. You can't do it with one. They say you got to give it to about eight to 10 locations to get a value going because um, you got to prove scalability. You got to prove growth. You have to prove uh, different demographics that you can be in, locations. Yeah. Um, I get so, worried when I when I see uh, like people who just want to be like us. Maybe they want to own two or three locations in their life, yeah. and they and they they compare themselves to these bigger organizations. And it's like if you just if you want to stay small, don't overextend. Correct. You know, and I think that they we compare ourselves to these bigger operations, and we like, well, they're doing it well because they took out a ton of fucking money. To do yeah, it. you don't yeah. like it, it right now, and we're we're going through these processes always as company. We have huge private equity firms coming to us saying, "Hey, we want in on you." You know, there's there's a it's a whole different ball game. You're talking hundreds of millions of dollars being put behind stuff, yeah. and they're trying to have you like you know get Cooper's Hawk type of deals. They're trying to have you open 200 of these things one day or whatever it is and go public on the public markets. There's it's a different ball game that they're getting into. The the and there's nothing wrong with owning two restaurants and three restaurants and making great income from it. I yeah. mean, it is um but what, it's going to be a slower game. It's a way slower. And those game. those people who are successful off three locations, those restaurants that they're running today weren't always that way. They probably started with like twelve seats, yep. and then there was a wall they could blow down because yep. that that company next door failed. Yeah, and they they got a little bit bigger, and yep. then they they bought the building next door and they opened the second concept. Yep. And like it's that always it's that slow, constant, gentle pressure. And but they own one hundred percent. Of Correct. all the assets. Yep. So they can get away with it. Yep. You know? Um, so th- it's a different, there's different models. There's different games out there. Correct. And, yeah. and the one that I took is, it, like I said, I got lucky. Like, it's not, you don't hear of it very often. You don't hear of restaurants going from one to eight in a five year time, you know, time span, going from 10 million in sales no. to 100 million in under 10 years. That's it's, awesome. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's rare. And that's why I say I got lucky. Um, I think, you know, my grandmother always said a comment to my mom. She said, your son will either be broke or he'll be a billionaire. (laughs) It's not one (laughs) of the two, right? And I could have gone either way. And, um, you know, but I I love what we do now. And I already see the difference in um, the abilities that we have compared to other organizations and people just starting out. And then I see the difference that, you know, Tim McHenry, who is – CEO of Cooper's Hawk is a good friend of mine, and I confide in all the time. And I see the resources that they have. I'm pretty sure to I've had them. Uh, Cooper's Hawk one, right? Yeah, yeah. Cooper's yeah. Hawk Tim. They were early, early guests on the show. I should probably reconnect. You should with go him. back to Tim. Amazing. And see his process. Is he through. in New? He's not in Chicago. Yeah, he's Chicago. Is he? Yep. Oh man, I should have known that. And he's uh, he now is backed by a huge private equity firm and. Um, he's probably not as lot. He's probably not allowed to talk as much. as No, nah, he can talk. It's it's through, through the process, but. What I'm trying to say is the the resources that he has. I mean, conversations that he has, they have about money are just it, it's even it's they talk in the hundreds of millions and billions. We uh, we talk in the you know maybe the millions, and other people are talking in the tens of thousands. So I'm it's still just talking in the tens of thousands. It, right it, now. it changes. It just changes. And, My overhead's a little less. Though. Yeah, but but it's yeah, but that's the thing when you look at yes, that those revenues are great. You know, we're paying out. 60 70 million dollars in cost every single year 80 million dollars that's a, a lot of money and that's something i guess you know to be proud of is just it's a lot of jobs it's a lot of people's families like there's a, a 
there's a very big need for the big organizations. I think a lot of times the big guy gets you know frowned upon sometimes, but you had to be the small guy sometime to get there, right? Yeah. And um, it's a journey, and you got to decide in life what journey do you want to take. It's like I said, I, I my story I tell every single year. I felt like I was going on a roulette. I put my money on black and I hit black. I went the next year, put my all that same money I had, I put on black and it hit. And all it would have taken was one red to yeah. screw the pooch, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I luckily just hit black and black in COVID. That I thought that was almost my screw the pooch when that first happened. I was like, I'm done. All this hard work was just is gone. And had to make some really hard decisions and get through that. And thank God, you know, the government stepped in and helped the restaurant industry and gave us the revitalization grants and got us through that and gave us that ability to keep stay alive and then keep growing, too. So uh, very important for the economy just to keep those those jobs growing. Yep. So let's 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 take us through the evolution of the growth. So we, we identified uh, kind of your goal. You wanted to be the, the person to create your partners over time. Um, you're focusing on women, you're focusing on self-marketing uh, and you wanted to be, you wanted to create a sense of vacation, uh, the Hamptons, yep. no matter where you are. That's, that's kind of the concept. Um, so what, take us the first year, the evolution in the first year, the first 18 months. Cause that's when you went from one to two. Well, again, even in the first one, I, had no idea. I said I learned lessons from American Junkie. I didn't learn them that I should have paid attention to them until later on half social. But the first year was crazy. Um, just trying to get our menu right, the, the amount of volume we were doing, trying to staff up, getting our training systems. I had some really awesome people, like I said, worked with me that just grinded through that yeah, process. Let's just focus on, on systems right now, the evolution of your systems over time. And maybe we can choose a different yep. vertical like marketing later and yep. how that evolved. So what, when, what was the evolution of your systems? You knew you needed systems. Did you know that going into Hampton social? Did you come to this realization yet? Or were you still kind of scratching your head as to what went wrong? With yeah, I was still scratching my head. And I think that I thought, Hey, you know, I didn't think of it that it was going to be such a big success and do so much volume. So I thought I had the time to like, when you're in a slower volume yeah. restaurant, you can build the systems a lot easier. When yeah. you're just your doors are booming and there's people coming in and out a day from seven AM till two in the morning, you have no time to think and yeah. like get anything done. So I thought I was gonna have a little bit more time. So we had to build those and I think early on I brought in uh my now COO, Steve Fiorentino. He had it was about month six, I think he came to work for me or lunch three or six or something like that and really early on i went to him and he had sold a restaurant fiorentino's up in um lincoln park and what i loved about it was like i said you never know what it's like to own your own restaurant until you own it and what to look at and what to care about you can work for a thousand restaurants you're never going to have that same sense of um ownership and he had that so i said steve listen i know you can go do your own thing again but I think we have something here. And he saw it, obviously. He walked in and saw the success we were having. I said, well, I think we have something here. Here's my vision. I want to open these all over the country. and uh, But I can't do that unless someone's here putting these systems together and making sure everyone's doing everything so I can go focus and find locations and grow and deal with capital and construction and all those sorts of things. I need uh, – that's why we have partners, right? Um and then I said, okay, now I need someone to operate that. I need another guy to help me go open the stores. And that's where Nick Cerise came from. And I need another one that is managing all the finances. And that's where Wes Schwartz came from. And this is how you build your team is finding people that are really good at something 
and then giving him that opportunity to grow and be successful in it, like I said. And so, you know, Parker Hospitality, my name's on the door, but this is a, a team effort. I did not do this by myself. Yeah. And anyways, no one can do this by themselves. So the first step was knowing the lane that you belonged in, growth yep. And, yep. and site location. I mean, you're a realtor. You yep. have that license. That's your lane. That's in design. Yep. And, and I think that's really what drives you. Um, so you knew you had, if you wanted to scale, if you wanted to do what you, what you yep. execute your vision, you had to surround yourself with people to do the stuff that you knew was necessary, like Correct. developing your systems. Um, what were the evolution? Like, was he just creating checklists then? Yeah. Checklists, documents, SOPs, guides, brand books, you know, um, I think, oh man, I had this thought of my, uh, what are SOPs? Uh, s- systems of operation. Like yeah. how, how do we operate something? What's our, what's our goal? Right. Um, and oh man, I had this. What was I going to say? Um, oh yeah, surrounding yourself with those people, and then and then realizing that investing in those people is hugely important. This is what I was going to get. A lot of people in this industry, and I was guilty of it too, and it took me a while to learn. Is luckily I learned it, I think, faster than a lot of other people do. Is that there's a difference? We look at the restaurant business like this. I have a restaurant. I'm going to make up a number. It does. $5 million and it net profits $500,000 and I want to open my next restaurant. So you think, okay, I have $500,000 now to go open my next restaurant. They open their next restaurant. Now they do the same thing. They have a million dollars. They open the next one. Now they have 1.5 million coming in, right? What they don't realize is that you don't have that 500,000. You might have $200,000 because that other 300,000 you need to be investing in people so that when you finally get to a point where you have all your systems in place, then you can go grow even faster. And it takes a, it's a, it, it's scary because you feel like you're not getting anything for, from it at the beginning. You feel like, you know, I, I see another restaurant being built, right? So I know I have another restaurant and it produces the bottom line. And then you don't have the people yeah. to execute it. But going out and hiring a COO when you have one location, you're like, why would I ever go doing that? Hiring a director of operation when you have one location, why are you going to do that? You know, a lot of people can outsource these things or not have those skills. When I had the first Hampton Social, I had a corporate office of like seven people. I had one restaurant. No one has that, right? And, but it was because of that willingness to say, well, my grandmother, I guess, said, be broke or be a billionaire. I said, I'm going to, this is going to become, hopefully, a, a national brand, and I'm going to invest in these people so that we can go grow that. And that's the only way we grew from. Who taught you that? Uh, I think. I just came to that realization. Yeah. I don't know. No one really said it specifically. I, I'll be honest. I just kind of looked at, you know, I, I take that back. When I was talking to private equity groups and stuff like that, and they were just walking me through the process of what it takes to get to the point to even be talking to them, um, they they talk about giving a lot of value and credit towards organizations, uh, leadership teams. Yeah. So we spend almost uh, $8 million a year just on, out of store expenses yeah. to leadership teams. We went deep into this conversation. I was talking to David Dressler from Tendergreen, and uh, that was one of their big pain points. Was they they were able to grow really fast and they were doing good, but you get to this point where when you take on outside investors or you sell your company, um, like there's a whole another layer. Like the executive 
chart like the executive team that you have to build. So Correct. when you're like small, you have three or four locations, you're the executive chef, you have a director of operations, yep. director of marketing, you know, director of finance, whatever. But what happens when you want to go nationwide? Yeah. That's when you get to start thinking about your C suite. And that's when you have to start getting really internal and going, Does it make sense for me to be in the seat anymore? A hundred percent. You have to evaluate yourself and have a team that's willing to evaluate themselves. Yeah. And it's weird. It's weird. It's like this like constant you think you got there and then you have to like scrub the whiteboard again and start all over. No. Right? I mean, you announced me earlier as founder and CEO. The founder title will always stay. I never, I don't know if the CEO title will always stay, right? Yeah. And I always say that to people. And my COO and my CFO always say, Brad, listen, we're here to make this successful. If we get to a size where we need to bring someone else on above us, we're all willing to do that. It's not. I'm not being replaced here. I'm just realizing that this is about something bigger and we need to get there. Maybe someone has that experience that I don't have to get us there. And so you start... Looking like that and then investing in that. When you start getting people, you know, now even when I'm like, okay, uh, we have to go hire a new person and these new hires cost $50,000 just to find from a recruiter and salaries in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're investing a lot of money, like hoping that, hey, yes, we're going to go grow this. Now, you get confident enough when you get to our stage to say, we are going to go do this. But when you're a smaller company, it's a very scary thing to do. When you have two or three locations, it's a scary thing to do. And I hear all, a lot of times from private equity groups, hey, you know, when we went and bought Chewy's or we went and bought these brands, like they didn't even have a corporate team because, and we had to go build those teams. We had to invest in those teams. So their value was taken down. That enterprise value gets taken out. So one advice that Tim gave me was, hey, Brad, build up your corporate team because when you go to sell this or you go to sell part of it or go to do something with it, all you have to explain to them is, hey, we, we already have these people. We don't need to go get them. And yeah. so I've been spending money so that you don't have, you can grow faster and you'll get value back for that. Got so, but it's, it. it's a interesting way to think about things. It's, yeah. it's re- very different than small time, like thinking about small time. Well, we don't talk operations. about this kind of stuff, you know, yeah. and that's one of the things like, I think it's important that we, we just, we talk about the evolution of a restaurant from single location to national, you yep. know, you know, 20 plus or yep. even more hundreds of locations. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that has to happen. So let's kind of backpedal a little bit. Cause you started getting to the point you said, um, when you went from one location that you, you were the sole proprietor, you took on some money from friends and family, you yep. said, um, but, uh, going to the second location, that's when like you, is it because you, you didn't, you knew that if you, I'm trying to find the right words, what was the, the, for you, what was the rush? What was the urgency to get to that second location? Hmm. You know, I think <laughs> much, my, many of my investors have thought the same thing. They thought I was crazy to be, to give the clear story. When I went to do the second location, my investors were like, what are you doing? Like you've only been open eight months and now you're saying you're going to open another location. You're out of your mind. Um, and maybe I was, but, uh, and they actually didn't invest in the second location. I ended up doing numbers two, three, four, five, and six all by myself. Wow. Just kept rolling everything I was making into the next ones, working with banks, getting loans, doing stuff like that to grow my brand until I got to a point, like I said, I had to do it. We had Nashville coming up um, and I sold off a, a 5% of the company um, to a private equity group. But, um, yeah, the rush was, I guess that that's my personality trait. I just, I, if I'm not growing, if it's not, I get, I get bored easily. Like I really do. Uh, it's the ADD in me. And so I pr- probably didn't have to. Um, and looking back, I probably could have slowed down maybe a little bit, but I'm 
you know, still, like I said, I got lucky. It worked, right? The stores made money. They the all timing, I think, was right, too. Yeah. You know, I think what you were trying to do when you were trying to do it, the timing the was market, right. The yeah. market was right. Um, and like you said, like your, your passion, and there's a million different... There's a million different things that could attract people to this industry, whether you like to be a chef, whether you, you, you're service oriented yep. uh, and you like the detail of service or whatever, or you just like designing and growing in the, the real estate and the, yep. the recruiting, the visionary. So like there's, there's so many things. And if you're one of those people and what fills you is the growth, yep. is the, the building a business, then that's the only way to keep the tank full. A hundred percent. And then, and I was going to say a lot of people get in this business for different reasons, mm-hmm. right? The reason I got into it was not because I'm a great cook, not because I have to be in the mixology program. I was a businessman, had the businessman mentality, and I really enjoyed the aspects that this brought. And that was the art, the designing and the people coming in and having the smile, the stuff that fulfills me, right? And I get that fulfillment from opening new stores. I get that fulfillment from doing an opening and having people come in, we're opening in Delray here soon. We're opening in Miami. Having those in markets be like, oh my God, we have a Hampton Social. That's my fulfillment. So once they have that, I'm like, okay, on to the next, right? Like that's just how my brain works. And I have an amazing team that's able to sustain the operation part of it, right? Was there a period where you think you grew too fast, where you felt it with the people, where you didn't have the people? Yes. When, when was that? Uh, in 2000 and. 18 and 19 we were growing we had multiple stores opening up over that time we were definitely shorthanded for how much we had going on and covid actually saved us and not saved us but it it slowed us down and allowed us two years of focusing on just perfecting stuff yeah and really crunching down and saying what do we need what don't we need how are we going to do this where's our culture you know we brought on some amazing people like our marketing directors and you know uh, positions that just we uh, didn't have time to focus on and really hone in. It gave us that time, and now I, you know, during that time, I would tell people, "I'm like, guys, you know, it's COVID, and this is great, and we're slow now, but wait till we get out of this thing because I'm going to push that gas pedal again." And we're now at that point in time where we have stores opening all yeah. over the place. So. so 2015, you open 2016, halfway through 2016. You had the second location, and then you said short off, like right on the heels of that, you went from like three to four to five, right? Yeah, I just, I, after Burr Ridge uh, opened, I signed a lease in Naples, Streeterville. Blue Ridge was Na- Nashville? Burr Ridge, here Wait, in oh, Chicago. Oh, right. Yeah, it was a suburb Ridge. of Chicago. Right. So I wanted to see, hey, does this work in the suburbs? So did that, and then I just started kind of going on a leasing spree. Um, I think it was good that you didn't, I think, I, I wonder sometimes when I see people, they open their second location on the other side of the country. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh my gosh. No, it's, like, <laughs> it's hard. It's, uh, I'll say this. I've watched a lot of successful restaurant guys leave their backyard and fail yeah. real quick. Yeah. And, and, and that was a learning curve for us. Um, our Naples store was our first out of state and we had growing pains there. It's doing great now. And we have a great team down there. And that was 2017. Yeah. And everything's firing on all cylinders, but it, it took us a while. Uh, and then, you know, we're in Nashville and that's been fantastic. That was number four. That was number seven. Number seven. So Orlando it was great. where it was um, your flagship in Chicago, yep. the suburbs location, Naples. Yep. So I went Chicago or River North, Burr Ridge, Naples, back to Chicago, did Streeterville. Then we did Skokie, then South Barrington. Do you know the years on these by any chance? 
Nashville, am I, am I allowed to cheat and go grab a piece of paper or pull no, up my phone? No, no, no. <laughs> this is ballpark. I'm just yeah, trying to get a Yeah, I would say, okay, so 2015, we opened the first one. 2000, late 2016, we opened the second one. 2018, or two, yeah, 15, 16, 17, we opened Naples. And then between the end of 17 and COVID, we opened all the rest. Oh, so wow. it was so like boom, boom, boom. Every three 17 months. 17 to 20, one. basically, you had hoping how many? Yeah, that would be five more. Five more. Wow. Um, so that mean okay, so let's let's talk that, about that. Was the time when you asked, did we feel you know short staffed or whatever? That that time was yeah. when it really hit us and and it was like holy cow. Okay, that was a lot. But hey, listen, it told my team was like we can do it. Like we can do this. Like we can be one of those companies that opens eventually eight, nine restaurants every single year. Were you feeling spread thin? Is that why the fourth was back to Chicago? Do you really like we need? No, it was, that was just out of how kind of I planned it. Um, the we were spread thin uh, because I didn't get ahead of hiring enough, and I think it's also like I said, we just didn't have enough money. Like I yeah. couldn't. I, I things were budgeted out. And I had was spending them on construction. That's why my advice is. Hey, make sure you have that money in your uh, war chest so that you can invest in things like yeah. people. Yeah. So what would you say are the two things that determine your growth today going forward? What has to happen? What has to be in place before you grow? Um, There's two things on my mind, but I'm curious what you yeah, say first. People. Yeah. Like I just, it's all about the people. Like you, you got to get so far ahead of it. Right now we are looking at stores two years down the line and I'm going to my CEO bank. Hire the people for that store. Yeah. He's like, well, that's two years. I'm like, yes, because by the time you hire one and maybe they don't work out and they quit on you and so many things can happen, you need to get ahead of it, right? That's so it. People, and then and then people and money. That's it. Those money. are the two things. That's yeah. what I would have said. People and cash flow. Yeah, and it, that's why the big dogs, the hedge funds come in. You get so much money because they're like, go get all the people we need to go yeah. turn this thing into a rocket ship. And I would say people first because the yeah. people will bring the cash flow. Correct. And, um, and would you say that where you went – like? So now, if you're opening a second location, like I'm trying to figure out how to ask this. Um, so if we if we go back to when you opened five locations in three years, were you where were you short? Was you, it sounds like you had the cash flow because you you had the ability to open the physical, On but people you were, who understood our culture. Okay. You, you come up, you're going to hire your GMs, you're going to hire your managers. In this market, it's definitely been difficult, but back then you're hiring these people, and do they know who you are and you will lose your company culture if you don't grow from within yes. our biggest thing is how do we grow people from within our organization that understand who we are understand our core values and understand what type of organization we want to be if we can do that successfully we'll be a successful company yep. now you always have to hire from outside and that's why you need great hiring department you need a great training program because there are those people that you have to bring in and say okay this is who we are and you need to learn it in eight weeks basically yeah um but you know that's what it is i mean we put people through a, almost a two-month training process before they can run their own stores yeah um, i think let us entertain you does like even a three-month training process so wow, wow. it's crazy but that talks about the amount of money that's when i talk about investing in people that's where it is instead of hey come to our store for two weeks and then go run a store so that's where organizations lose i think the quality. Yeah. So it sounds like from your story, like you, you went out, you got the cash, you got, you went to the banks, mm -hmm. you were like, sweet, 
all we got to do is go build out these restaurants and then we're good. But you forgot about the $1 million you had to pay for the people <laughs> to go into those restaurants. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And all the training. Or yeah. I would say, you know, I'd go to Steve and say, Steve, why, why are we doing an eight-week training program? Let's, we could do this in four weeks. Like, yeah. we're, we're spending an extra $15,000 per employee training them. This is crazy, right? And we try that approach. And then we would just see that, like, no, in the long run, that person can't handle the job. Just ends up quitting, and, you and then your rehiring is, yeah. is even more. So yeah. you really got to stick to your guns, even though it sucks, and invest in those things up front that are going to reap your long-term benefits. And it's scary. Like I said, you could train someone for eight weeks, and then they're like, you know what? Never mind. I got another offer over here, and I'm going to another company. You're like, I just spent all that money on you. Yeah. And it's so it, it's hard. I you see win some, you lose some. Yep. I think you got to look at the, you know, the, you, that's never going to go away. Correct. Sometimes people think they want to give themselves, to, like they want to commit themselves to your organization, but maybe you're just not the right organization. Correct. For them. It's and not going to be a, a home run. With you also have to not get down on yourself. When you're a growing organization, you're never going to be able to pull off the profitability of a non-growing organization. Um, if I'm dealing with that right now, yeah. the restaurant unstoppable, yep. grossing more money than ever, but I'm also growing a team. I'm trying to do more. We have videography now. Like yep. it's like, you got to sacrifice. Like you got to put that money back into the business. Yeah. If I just stopped and, and said, I'm not opening one more restaurant, I would have well seasoned people. I wouldn't have to go out and hire new people. So I wouldn't need the training program that I'm spending so much money on. I wouldn't need to do X, Y, and Z and my profitability would go up. Right. Yep. So you have to look at these things and say, okay, what am I building? And that's why I try to teach other entrepreneurs that you have to focus on one thing. Am I building cash flow or am I building an enterprise value? Yeah. I'm very fortunate in my journey that the way I built the company and the risks I took to have owned enough of my company, because a lot of guys try to do what I've done and by the time they get to an exit point, they have 5% of their company, right? And I've been very fortunate to retain that. And so... I don't have to nickel and dime a lot of things. I can, I, I'm really focused on that enterprise value. I'm, I don't make money based on a year to year basis. I'm not, I look at my personal setting and I say, okay, if I don't make money for five years, are you okay? Okay. I don't need a dollar for five years because I did okay. And I, I'm going to live my life this way. So I don't need a dollar for five years. What I'm focused on is in five years, what is this company worth from a value standpoint? And when I have that meeting with that private equity group or I decide to go public, that's the money I'm making. That's my savings account. That's my, you know, that's what I need. I'm investing like someone invests in the stock market. Yeah, I invest like (laughs) people invest in the stock market. I invest my money into the people. Yeah. You look at company. Fox Concepts. Yep. Right. Yep. Pretty, pretty well known. Yep. Arizona. Amazing. He's awesome. Fo- yeah. Great guy. Would love to get him on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of what he created in Arizona. You think to yourself, why would you sell? Why would you get like he built something hot and he had he, he, he got the people and he was at the prime. And that yep. was probably why he sold is because he knows uh-huh. it will never be better than this. Yep. And I can. I can look to the cheesecake factory and be like, this looks pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. And I can sell to the cheesecake factory and walk away at the age of what, 40 something, 30 yep. something. Like, yep. Mid forties, late, yeah. late forties. Yeah. And yeah. just, and I'm, I'm sure he's keeping busy, but no, he's, and he's still do, and he did it the right way. And it's the same. Like I said, I, I aspire to be Tim and Sam and rich and, and we are going to do it. It's not like we're at that point where it, it will happen. It's just at what time point will it happen? And the beauty of it is you, you now get to have a partner, these big financial partners that um, get to stake your creativity. They get to stake what you do. And it's, it, 
doesn't become all your risk anymore. And you kind of get that reward for, hey, here's all the risk you took for 10, 15 years, in Sam's case, 20 years, right? And you just got to find there's at every person's point and entrepreneur's point and CEO's point or founder's point, you have to make that decision. When is my day? Is my day today? I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know, cash out on this or am I going to keep pushing it? And is it to tomorrow? And the real reason for me, I think why some guys hold off longer than others, it's not for the money because you get past the point where the money doesn't make a difference. The, whether you, someone makes 50 million, a hundred million or 200 million, you're, you're well off, right? Yeah. You do it for your organization because you don't want to lose control of what you've built. There's a lot of people in the organization that rely on you. I think people come to work um, because of who they work with and who they work for. And so, you know, I've dabbled the word uh, of, hey, private equity. And I've had people go, wait, does that mean you're not going to be running this company anymore? Or, you know, you're going to be worried about, you know, am I, is my job going to be the same? And that's one thing you want to protect is those people because they put a lot of hard work into this. And, so how do you protect those people? just trying to be very smart and strategic with who you partner with in the future. And, and hopefully those people understand that this is not just a spreadsheet. This is people's lives. This is what they love to do. And we, it's my job as the founder and yeah. CEO to protect that. And then, you know, just bring me back to the conversation I had with tender greens and David Dressler and talking about how they were scaling that business. And the cold truth is you're going to have to shed some people. And yep. I think Danny Meyer t- because Unisquare Hospitality Group bought yep. Tender Greens, and Danny yep. Meyer was basically uh, coaching David in like the growth phase of like, listen, sometimes a tree grows, yep. and sometimes in order for that tree to grow, it has to shed bark. Yep. And that person that you hired for that job 15 years ago, who's been with you from the very beginning, isn't the person to take you to the future. Yeah. So it's a hard, it's a hard one too. Yeah. So I mean, what do we, what do we do there? Is it a matter of maybe trying to find that person that? a similar role with different organizations yeah. maybe growing you know? and hundred percent. And hopefully if that person's been with you for 15 years, you have a relationship there and you yeah. want the best for them. And so, you know, I, I think a good organization won't just isn't like chop. See you yeah. later. Right. But it's, Hey, let's give them the chance to grow with you, you. You have to understand this. And I think a lot of times those people need to understand that, um, Hey, maybe I'm not the person for this job, yeah. right? I'm not the, I, I can't do what's expected of me. And, get rid of your ego and be humble and say, if I do want to stay inside this organization, where can I fit? And hopefully there's a spot in there um, that that can happen. The problem is some people say, Hey, I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm not, no one's going to be my boss. And it's a, it's an attitude problem sometimes. That's where, that's where the chopping comes. And then if it really is just a position that's no longer needed or something needs to go, um, hopefully they you've given them enough experience to go capitalize on what they've done. Yeah. I want to go back to this idea of um, growing partners. So what do you get specific about how you're doing that? Are you literally taking people who came on as employees and you're giving them equity in the business? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I, like I said, my first partnership in life in this business was me and a college buddy going in and saying, Hey, we're 50, 50 partners. We shook on it and we put our legal documents and we were 50, 50 partners. I realized I don't know why I made a partnership with you afterwards, not in a negative way. And I respect him so much to this day, but I didn't, I had no idea what you could actually do when it came to working. I didn't know what your specialties were. I didn't know what your strengths were. I just assumed these were the things, right? Whereas if you have strong employees, um, you get to learn a lot about them. You get to learn about the ones that have commitment that really think of the bigger picture, aren't so much I and we're more team. 
And as hopefully a, a good leader and a compassionate person, you identify those people and you say, that's someone I want to keep in my organization. So I'm going to do my part to figure out how do I keep you in my organization. So from the guys who first started with me that said, hey, listen, you guys are kicking butt. Keep at it. Keep going. Let's get you you know, your partnership and get your equity and your stocks in the company and your value so that when we go through these moments, you cash out too because we're all working for those to as you get later in an organization, um, building those opportunities for newer employees and building 10-year growth plans. That's why big companies have stock options, right? That's why they do these things is you're vested into that company. As a smaller company run LLCs, it's a lot harder to do. Uh, you have to figure out more creative ways because you can't just start throwing people stocks. They, the IRS has a little issue with that. It's called perceived value and you have to pay taxes on it. So I can't just hand someone ownership. Um, so you have to be creative. And that's, again, I think that's another step to why people get into private equity and then take companies public. It just creates a system for an employee owned company. Yeah. That's a lot easier to manage and value. I mean, I looked into that model of employee owned companies, uh, ESOPs, um, and you need like $100,000 just to, for the uh, attorney fees to get that <laughs> set up. So I thought that would be a cool model, but I, I don't think it's really in range for most people who no. are small business no. owners. Your best bet is probably some type of like shared profit. That's a, So it's yeah. really profit sharing comes yeah. down to it when you're the, the size we are. Just for a legal standpoint, you're, you're trying to give them the upside and anything that's success and sharing that value. And so um, the people that, you know, for me at least, the people that I see that are willing to put in the extra work and stick with you, those are the ones that I try to, you know, reward and, and, and keep around. And yeah. Hopefully... Other people will see that and want to do the same thing. So what I'm curious about, um, what, at what point did you would you say you got your systems locked in and then they were locked and then you started scaling from there? Or they're, they're still, still not locked. They're still not locked. <laughs> no, so we're still working on them. Today? The, no, they're, they're great. How many total locations are you at? Uh, now, total locations and restaurants, we're at 10. 10, including 11. all concepts? Sorry, I'm getting 10, 11. Wait, what is it now? So we have 8, 9, 10. Including oh, 10. The We're about to have 12, 13. It just keeps changing, right? Yeah, so I have the five in Chicago, the one in Nashville, the two in Florida already open. That's eight, basement, Nisos, and then we have about four other construction. So you're at the peak of your operating ability. Yep. Right. What does the peak look like for you? How have your, like, what are your systems today? What- my system, the, the perfect system is when I walk into my restaurant, and like I said, every single spot of this restaurant has a checklist to it. Every single spot has those SOPs. Done. How do you manage those? I'm checklists? talking front of house in English and Spanish and everything, yeah. right? Um, we're at a point where we have all that stuff. We just need to not only make sure that it's usable for everyone, but it's um, used by everyone. So you can have a system, but if it's not being used, that's where uh, the downfall comes. So, so how are you making sure people are using it? That's when you get great directors of operation and great management, and that's where investing and hiring and bringing up people and having extra hands to go in and say, hey, we're doing our check today. I'm checking all your clipboards in the back. Did you all do your checkoffs? Did you sign off on them? I'm checking your freezer temperatures. I'm checking you know, how your, your food's being stored. Though You need those people to keep on the other people to know those checks are coming or else they're just not going to do it. So there's the master document yep. where everything lives, right? Yep. Where like, if you go, like I could, I could walk here and pull anybody and be like, where's the, where's the operations? Correct. Manual? Correct. And somebody would be able to pick that up and be like, here it is. Here right? you go. Yep. Um, and then you, you then take elements of that operations manual 
like a copy yep. of a checklist and yep. you put it in a, a respective station. 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 Yep. So every station should have their own checklist. Your cold prep should have their checklist. Your, you know, your hotline should have your checklist. Your host stand should have your checklist. Your manager should have your checklist. Your opening checklist, the closing checklist for the managers. So you have these all in different places. Now we're getting to a day and age where it's now becoming digital. It's all on iPads, right? Have you, have and, you leveraged that? That's what we're starting to do right now what is do, transition. Over what are you to, looking to? We're looking at some companies called Jolt and um, uh, Redbook has one. Blanket. Is that the other one you think trying to think of? I think, yeah, Blanket we looked at. There's a couple of them on there. But that's kind of this year's goal is to take all of those things, digitalize them, and then um, have those be executed. Because what that allows you to do, if you get that right, you now have fewer people who kind of – you still have people that need to oversee them, but you're getting constant reports back. Yeah. right? So if someone does their checklist – well, that DO is getting that notification, right? Like, okay, this was accomplished. So I don't actually go have to go into the store to know that was being accomplished. Yeah. Now, someone could just mess with it, or, right? And or it's never foolproof. It's really cool what they're doing now. Like, if it's, say, lunch for you starts at 1130, and your checklist is supposed to be done by 1130, yep. you can look to your tablet if, you, if you're managing multiple locations, and you're like, why? It's 1130. This checklist should have been completed. Why didn't I get the push notification Correct. that tells me this is completed, which triggers you to go, hey, you yeah. guys good? Yeah. Exactly. You know, like, is there a problem over there? Do, yeah. I need a, do you need our help? Yeah. So. Uh, and there's also cool things too where I know like certain features will let you literally take a picture of say say you're cleaning, right? At the end of the day checklist. Yeah, Jolt does that. And, and everything has its place. Yeah. So now you can't finish that checklist until you've taken a photo of it to ensure that everything is in Correct. its place. And and then so hold you accountable. And then the next guy comes in the next day, the manager says, oh, man, this lounge is a mess. What's going on? You can either look back at the picture and say, yeah, you did do this, so something happened between now and then, right? Or, you know, you just checked all the boxes and took the picture and you're not doing your job. So the pictures are a huge thing to me. I'm a big proponent of that. Uh, Some people like the old school ways, but I I think you'll see here in the future everything kind of go in that direction. And we need to because it's labor's hard right now. We know hiring's hard and all these things are, are... we need to find ways to have technology help the restaurant industry. Yeah. It's been way behind on technology for many years. Yeah, it's going to be hitting us hard, especially with the, the challenges with labor. I think anybody who was dragging their feet on technology is going to be quick to adopt to save on labor costs because, I mean, there's technology can take a lot of responsibility from people. Yeah, but yeah. I also think that the consumer needs to start getting in line it's it's hard to take, change consumer habits but we talk about like ordering at the table like can you order from your phone stuff like that some people like it some people hate it right and it, it's only moving reason, in one direction exactly the reason we need it is because when restaurants are opening up and the client base is there the the customers there we're filling our restaurants but you can't get the servers to serve the restaurant well, what are you supposed to do yeah, you, you exactly. don't have a choice right yeah. now at high-end fine dining brands probably won't ever come around because there's something about that experience but you'll see i know bar you're also paying it. for it yeah you're paying for it yeah but, but it shouldn't be expected that um you know a mid-tier market concept or lower to yeah. mid-tier market concept is paying the same labor expenses as a michelin star restaurant exactly maybe they're making more in tips but you know they're getting paid approximately the same exactly like the hourly rate exactly. is, is comparable so it's interesting for sure so for people who haven't maybe don't have the budget or they're more like, I'm not ready to invest in a technology solution. Um, so you, you have the checklist, but what is the process for making sure the checklist is being done? Is there a checklist for the checklist checker? Yes. Audits. That's, that's <laughs> where audits come in. Right. Okay. And, and 
if our TOs are doing their proper audits and we're getting these reports back, we can you know find out what's happening uh, in our stores. Also, you just have to have a. We have so many different audits. It's not only just from in the store, but our marketing department runs quality satisfaction audits. How are our restaurants being reviewed by customers? What's our overall restaurant ratings? What's we, you know, I'm not sure we're using Vanga anymore, but we used to use Vanga. What's our Vanga score? Like, what's our cumulative score? We need to be above a certain level. And that tells you a lot. Like, if you're getting good reviews, well, you're probably following most of your checklist and you're yeah. probably doing a lot of your stuff. It might not be perfect, but you can't pull off. You know, our stores, I think, average our Hampton Social is 4.7 and above at all of our stores. And that's our goal. We always say 4.7 and above, you're, you're probably doing something right, right? Um, if we start seeing weeks where it's, it, we are starting to get these reviews at 4.2 and 4.3, and then we call them, like, what's going on? And then yeah. we dive into that. And usually then we can find, oh, well, this is not being followed. And now with technology, I mean, we can pull keywords. We can see, hey, everyone's re- reviewing the burger bad. Let's let's talk about the yeah. burger, right? So, so we know exactly what it is. I'm technology curious, is crazy like that. Is this emphasis on reviews what was the appeal for you to start using Pop Menu? I noticed you're yes. using Pop Menu. Yes. Um, and like I said, you have to trust your team. My marketing <laughs> director is uh, the person that made the final decision. Pop Menu came to me about two years ago. Actually, a friend of a friend started the company. And yeah, that, that was kind of the idea is giving people that avenue to rate it, review it. And a lot of it's our feedback. People think they're reviewing for other customers. We use that as a huge tool. Yeah. Right. Problem is with reviews is you get, you have a great experience at a restaurant. You're more than likely to walk out and yes, tell your friends about it, but you're not going to go take the time and effort to write down on a piece of paper or on, on a website, your great experience. Problem is you have a bad experience, then you're, vengeance nowadays or how to get back at something is to go write a bad review right so it is definitely lopsided keeping um positive review score uh can be very difficult for a lot of restaurants you need we have a whole team of people who are when someone writes a bad review reaching back out to them and saying i'm so sorry about your experience here we'd like to you know invite you to come try us again you know uh, give us a second chance. Those types of things, you know, it is difficult. I feel bad for, you know, the one-off mom, pa, I call it restaurant that just doesn't have those resources to, to, to keep up with yeah. today's technology. Yeah. It can be overwhelming because the consumer expects the same experience, but you don't have the same resources to deliver the experience. So it's a weird time we live in right now, but I think that, I don't know. I think that technology is going to help level the playing field. Yep. That's the hope. And that's why like Jolt or Redbook, like you can go on and if you're a small restaurant operator, go to Redbook. Yeah. You're not customized systems. They have them pre-done for you. At least it's something, at least it's getting out there and having that checklist and it will teach you something. It will teach your staff something. So there's, there are shortcuts. You don't have to have all customization, right? Uh, something's better than nothing. I would say. So I look looking at your websites right now. Um, Parker Hospitality is a pop menu website. Basement's a pop menu website. Nisos is Nisos is not a pop menu website. That's Bento Box. Yeah, it's Bento Box. And then you have um, Hampton Social, which is pop menu, yep. I believe. So, was there a difficulty integrating the the Bento Box and the the or is it a simple just I'm very fortunate as being the founder and CEO not to deal with the difficulties. <laughs> okay. I was wondering if there was like if there was conflict there when no, trying to do No, no it wasn't. It was that was a, a a judgment call based on what we wanted, what the brand was, what we felt. You know, I think uh pop menu is awesome for everything from fast casual to mid-level to, you know, casual dining 
tiers of restaurants. When you get into the more fine dining, um, some aspects of it just don't come off as fine dining in a yeah, sense, right? Yeah. So hence we went with bento box. I love pop menu. We're going to use them for a long time coming and, and in a lot of concepts that we'll do, but yeah. uh, it just felt like bento box was the yeah. way to go for one last sense. One last question before yeah. we start to move to the speed round and wrap things up. I am curious. I think you're at this point right now with 10 locations um, where you're starting to think legacy solution or tech stack, right? Like a one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. Where's your store? Like, where's your search for that? Is that on your radar? Like a, what do you mean? Say that again. So like, like a, I, it's the, it's the, the tech stack solution. It's a, it's a sense, it's a system. It's a one-stop shop for everything. Everything. Yeah. I mean, I wish that I'm trying not someone to get it right. No, I, I try to not steer the conversation, Got it, but okay. like, is that something that's on your radar? Is I would going love to, it. Yeah. I would love it. I mean, the problem is, or especially enterprise. It's solution. just, it's, it's people have tried to do it. Hot schedules, try to, to yeah. do this. I mean, they've tried to be the master of everything mm-hmm. and you're kind of the master of none. I think but, you're, uh, you're seeing toast making. Yeah. Toast is trying to do it. I, and toast is doing the best job. I think I've seen, um, with it, uh, it'd be nice if they would just go out and buy some companies instead of trying to do it all themselves. Um, because I think some companies have really good software out there. Uh, but yeah, one stop shop would be unbelievable. I mean, we were running, I don't know how many different platforms and how many different technologies and, you know, Sunday pay at the table. And then, you know, toast is trying to do their order at the table, but someone else might do it better. And they don't want to, get rid of that because of credit card processing fees. There's so many different things that go into Toast did just raise their credit card. Yeah, there's, there's just so many yeah. things that go into these yeah. um, pieces and it would be nice for someone to have a one stop system. Yeah. If I looked back, I'll share. I knew thoughts. what I knew and I knew what I knew today. I might've started those type of companies too. So. <laughs> yeah. I'll share some with you afterwards. Awesome. That you can check out. Yep. Um, all right. Before we move to the speed round, um, uh, Part of the mission, our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Absolutely inspired. Absolutely empowered. You shared some great knowledge and advice for us. But in that note of transformation, what direction would you like to see the industry go? What do you think is – what do you think we could be doing better? Where where are we falling short? Wow. Um, That's a good question. Thank you. It's almost like it's my job to do this. I think – I had to say it, culture. I think a lot of people left the restaurant industry because of culture. What needs? What can we do to change the culture of the industry? We got to start thinking. I think more companies need to start thinking like big companies. You know, you people say the culture at Google is great, the culture at Apple is great. Well, one, the culture is great because when you have money, it's easy to create culture, right? Yeah. But we got to start early on thinking that way because I think it drove a lot of people out of our industry and said, Hey, I want to go to a company that treats me right. And that's been our big philosophy here at Parker hospitality is being that company that treats them the best we can. Yeah. Um, and our industry used to be the one that said, listen, this is, you're going to work hard. You're going to work long hours. You're not going to have weekends. You're not going to do these, you know, things that normal people get to do because you're in the service industry. It just is what it is. And I refuse to believe that. Um, we just, instituted in our company a four day work week for managers. Um, but there's, there's also evidence that shows when you limit the amount of time people can work, they work more efficiently. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and it's cost. I mean, I look at some of our PNLs that come through. I'm like, why is this, why are we low here? And my guys go, you instituted a four day work week for our managers, which <laughs> means we had to hire more managers, right? Yeah. Because you know, running a, a restaurant floor, running a, uh, 
um, the restaurant's not easy work. You're on your feet all day. You're dealing with an upset customer, trying to make sure they're happy. I mean, it's not easy work. So to give that person that ability to have that extra day off, maybe it's a day to spend with your family so that you can then spend your other two days or two days with your family and one day just getting your life together, dry cleaning, whatever it is. Uh, I'm hoping that it pays off and I'm hoping for us, at least as a company, it gets people to say, that's why I want to work with a company like that and then retain those people because there's a huge cost in retraining and people jumping from uh, job to job. That's the, I guess that's the second thing. I wish I would see more people in our industry stay loyal to their companies yeah, and not bounce around so much and understand that I don't think they realize if they just stuck it out, how much more successful they could be. Right. Jumping from company to company isn't like other industries. It's not going to get you to where you want to be. You know, everyone says, hey, this happened a lot over the past two years. You know, I was making 80000 with you and, and uh, this other company over, or offered me $100,000 to come be their chef or whatever. And I had tough conversations saying, oh, well, I can't match that. Here's why. You're going to go to that $100,000 company and they're going to expect $100,000 worth of work from you. You're not at a point in your career yet where you can do that. And 90% of these stories happen the same way. Those people that left went over there for that $100,000 job and lost their job after six months because yeah. they overpromised and underdelivered. Yeah. right? I think when you stick with a company and grow with a company, that company understands what you can do and only gives you as much responsibility, as, responsibility yeah. as you can succeed. Yeah. Like The biggest failure in our, in our business is giving someone too much responsibility and then they fail and then being like, they either quit or you have to you fire yeah. them and being like, okay, it was actually our fault too because we should have never asked you to do yeah, that. Yeah, and you need to give them the tools to do it. Yeah, right? and you don't have the tools. Yeah. So if you grow in an organization, you usually don't have that problem. Yeah. And you and as long as you're vocal, you communicate, you will grow in an organization. But it's a marathon. It's not yeah. a sprint. Look yeah. at guy. I mean, find the first guy that worked at Cheesecake Factory as a busboy. I don't care. As a dishwasher and worked his way up. Uh, I bet that guy's doing really, really well right now. You're making me think of uh, Do- Donald Moore, who was exactly. a guest on the show. You know that name? No, yeah, I know who he is, but I don't. I know his story is he came from like the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, he, he climbed the ladder of the Cheesecake yeah. battery, prep yep. Factory, and he was the chief culinary officer, and now he's a part of a, a mod, yeah. which I think is like the- Mod Akron. Pizza. No, no. Oh. no. Um, he's partners with um, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph Cacciatore. Think of these. You can't. You can't tell people. You know what's going on. Can't think of the names. Uh, he's he's with the group where he's, in, he's investing in restaurants. I'm pretty sure. Like gotcha. That, but yeah. what I'm saying is that's the story of. I always tell people he is ten times more successful in his own personal life than most guys that try to go to this on their own. Yeah. Gotcha. S- stick stick with it. <clears throat> Got the message. One more question. Uh, inspire, empower, transform. How have you transformed personally over the past 10, 12 years since you've been doing this? That's. My team has helped me transform into really thinking about a people culture or people centric organization as opposed to an asset centric organization, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you think of owning restaurants. Oh, I own all these restaurants and you're really a caretaker to people. And then the restaurants come to life like that. They will come if you have the people. Yes. Beautiful stuff, man. I love this conversation. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a speed round. Awesome. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. 
Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We are back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I rarely sleep. Is that good for you, though? I don't know, but you I must just... must be one I, of those rare people I, I, that I, 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 I just... My sister calls me a robot. That's yeah. her nickname for me. She's like, I don't get it. You're... You're, if we go out to dinner and have wine, you're never hungover. I just have this rare, yeah. rare ability to That's have energy all the time. Definitely an advantage. Yeah, it's sure. a huge advantage. What is your biggest weakness? Oh, biggest weakness. I, at first, I might not listen. It takes a second for me to listen sometimes. It needs to be pounded in my head. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you grow on your team? When I'm growing my team, the number one thing is. Do they fit our culture? Mm. What is your biggest challenge today? People. I think the biggest challenge is finding people and culture that really believe the same thing you believe. What are you doing differently to overcome that challenge? Uh, investing heavily into the market and in, into those you know departments that uh, HR and people and culture just to make sure that we're really well vetting our, our, our incoming uh, employees to make sure that they're going to be a long lasting fit, not based on their skills, but based on their personalities. Mm. What is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? A way to be a way to act. Always find a way. What is one common standard of service you teach your team? Uh, this is something that you do to go above and beyond to make sure your guests get the best experience. It's simple. Every customer leaves happy. What is one book that's a must read to make a better person or restaurant operator? Oh man, that's a hard one. Uh, Man, I'm going to script the title. We just read it. Row the boat. Yeah, I'm going to have to get this right. BJ Fleck, row the boat. Yeah, BJ well, Fleck, row the boat. And if that's not right, just go to the show notes. We'll get the right one. Right. We just finished reading it. It's, it's it's great. It's about getting everyone to row in the same direction yeah. together and how yeah. to get everyone going. Beautiful. Yep. Um, what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted in your restaurant? Oh, man. We adopt things all the time. Um, uh, Sunday, pay at the table. What is that? It's a it's, it closes out your bill, so you can pay at table. Toast has one. There's just works a lot faster and more efficient. And it's called Sunday. Pay Sunday. It, yeah. Sunday. Pay Sunday. It. It's just Got Sunday. It. Got it. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Again, I think think it's they 
they focus on the asset, not the people. Got it. This is the last question. It's a doozy. So open your ears. <laughs> All right. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Yep. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the, the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity in your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Take a chance. One. Put, put one foot in front of the other, right? Just do it. Is that two? Well, no, it's the same advice. Okay. Just take your chance and do it. Like I, I get frustrated when people just don't try, yeah. right? They think, they talk, they dream, they don't try. One. Um, you can't take your money with you. Two. And uh, you want to be known for how you treat people, not what you built. Three. That's been a great time talking to you, my man. Thank you so much. Uh, Before we say goodbye, I am going to have you call somebody else. Who do you respect and admire? And believe it would make a great guest mentor like he made for us today. I already got Tim McHenry on my list again. Tim Tim would be amazing. He He is the man. I respect him above all things and and he's done some amazing uh work in our business so i think i'm due for uh, another conversation with tim so look out tim i'm coming back after you and uh what if we've really enjoyed this conversation we're aspiring restaurant operator maybe we're aspiring restaurant owner and we uh resonated with your message today that you're trying to build partners what's the best way to connect maybe we want to come join your team and see if we can't climb the ladder with you Go to our uh, Parker Hospitality website, get a hold of us, and I'm always open to have conversations with everyone. It's one of my favorite things I'll do, but they'll filter out if it's just, hey, I want to be a part of this team versus uh, I just want to get the chance to talk with Brad. Yeah. <laughs> Both, they can make sure that they get that over to me. Got it. In uh, social handles? Yep. Uh, Parker Hospitality, at Parker Hospitality on Instagram. Obviously, at the Hampton Social. Everyone better be following that. And our newest one, at Nisos. So, Mediterranean. Nisos Mediterranean. Beautiful. Follow Brad us. Parker, my man. Thank you so much. If you so want to follow much. me, yeah. at Brad Parker Hospitality. It's pretty Thank simple. You, man. Thank you so much. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, my man. Cheers. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Brad Parker, and great lessons in today's episode. I think the big one for me is you can't just hire people with experience and expect them to execute your vision. You have to share your vision. You have to explain the expectation. You have to provide the systems and tools and resources for these people to execute your vision. And uh, just a great lesson there. And uh, just so many great tips on how to scale. What was it? Three concepts, 11 or 14 locations in seven years. Crazy. So impressive. Well done, Brad Parker. So if you are enjoying this podcast and you want more podcast episodes just like this one where we dive deep into the the stories and the lives and the knowledge of the most successful restaurateurs out there then please support the show you can do it by supporting our sponsors using our affiliate links uh, subscribing to itunes and also our youtube channel head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable subscribe and check out those shorts that sam hall's been working on doing an amazing job over there and also we're bringing back the network so that's something that we kind of tap the brakes on for a little bit uh when i committed to 100 on-site interviews uh i was using the network prior to that point uh to host our, our workshops and our lectures and i was supplementing the show with that content but i just love being on site i love being in person 
And that's really where I shine. And that's really where my cup gets filled. So I want to focus my energy on traveling, on connecting with these people in person and recruiting them to the network to share knowledge and to, I mean, the vision behind the network is literally to connect my listeners with my guests, my guests with each other, and also with all the tools and services that they're recommending. I want a place where we can come together and discuss these things and learn. And I just want to help good people connect with good people. So that's kind of my role going forward so much, not so much community manager, which is a big hat that I wore before, but community builder uh, where I fill the funnel with these awesome people. So if you're interested in being a community manager and you think you have the, the attention to the detail and the management skills to, to, to manage a project like this, then please reach out to me, Eric at restaurant Uh, and I cannot wrap up without saying thank you to Jared over at Sumadre podcast for the copy and editing. And again, a shout out to Sam Hall for the videography and uh, what we're doing over here at the YouTube channel. Can't do it without my team. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out. Peace out.